Hello again. Welcome to the Content Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Halverson. This podcast is brought to you by contentstrategy.com and Brain Traffic, a content strategy consultancy. Find out more about Brain Traffic at braintraffic.com. Oh, and welcome back. And this week, I am thrilled to have on the show with me, Mr. Jeff Eaton. Jeff is a senior digital strategist with Lullabot and a longtime friend, colleague, and co-conspirator. Jeff, thanks for being on the show. It's a pleasure, Christina. It's, it's great to be here. Great. Uh, and where am I speaking to you from? Um, I imagine that you're somewhere in the Twin Cities. No, I, I just kidding. Oh, but I know my grammar is the worst. <laughs> I'm, Damn uh, it! Let's start over. No, 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 no. It's all, it's all good. It's all good. I, I'm, I'm uh, from the. I live in the Chicago area, um, and uh, so the company I work for, Lullabot, is uh, completely distributed. So I have the the wonderful pleasure of uh, being able to work work from a basement office that's filled with uh, cats and all sorts of uh, nerdy stuff. Lovely. Hey. Tell me a little bit about your background and how you came to have the auspicious role of senior digital strategist at Lullabot. Boy, well, so I'll I'll go back. I was I was I was born as a young child. Um, oh, brother! I, no, so really, um, when I was in high school, what I, what I really decided I wanted to go into was journalism. Um, you know, I wanted to write. I wanted to you know maybe maybe someday run a magazine or something like that. Um, as it turned out, um, I slowly but surely ended up doing more and more freelance writing over time. Um, but probably real, like real, real early in the early days of the web, um, I ended up getting my first job at um, a small, like local marketing agency. And uh, I was doing mostly freelance writing and desktop publishing for those who remember those days. Um, and But I ended up becoming the web guy because I sat next to our web server when we first started making, quote, home pages for clients. Um, yeah, you know, the, the, the new value add of being able to put up a home page on the information <laughs> superhighway for your business. Um, and that was just something that I, you know, I got more and more interested in that um, way, way back in the days of like, you know, images being a really big deal. Um, and as I got more interested in that and started digging more into software development and, you know, programming, um, that was, that ended up being where I ended up um, really digging in specializing professionally for probably, well, I don't know, the first um probably the first decade or so of my, my career after that. Um, but then because of some other projects that I was working on, I ended up getting involved in an open source content management project, uh, which at the time was this little thing called Drupal that no one had ever heard about, but seemed like it fit what I was working with. Um, I've now been doing like Drupal or Drupal adjacent work for probably, I don't know, 13, maybe 14 years. That's sobering. Um, but Along the way, I sort of made the transition back from um, working in just pure software development and web development that I had been for about a decade back into the world of content and publishing. Um, and it really felt like coming home in a lot of ways. Um, so I was part of the Drupal, you know, core development team and, you know, contributing work as an actual developer and programmer. But as I started working on larger and larger projects, um, I think uh, when I first started working with Lullabot, um, a couple of our projects were like, 
MTV UK and, you know, Fast Company magazine, as, as Drupal was starting to be used for more and more large scale publishing projects, we ended up getting involved in a lot of those things. And for me, it, you know, again, it re- really felt like coming home where all of the issues and concerns that our clients were really driven by, um, they were less about software and more about the business and the work of publishing and creating and managing content. And um, that felt like a really, really natural fit. So probably maybe about uh, five years or so ago, I, I sort of made an official shift and started focusing on more on uh, digital and content strategy, still inside of the context of the large-scale CMS build-outs that um, Lullabot does a lot of. Um, but it's meant that um, most of my energy and most of my focus is really on the you know early phase of you know content planning, architecture, um, figuring out what the important decisions about the content and the organization's engagement with it will be before it turns into here's some specs for the developers. And tell me about how you are able to shift the conversation early on because i'm assuming that what people come to you with is our content is a mess we need a new platform <laughs> um well you know it it's funny some people do that um we find that a lot of um a lot of large scale web projects that we encounter are driven by like cyclical business needs for you know new features or a sense that you know people are just getting frustrated with the platform and we need to get a new web platform or something like that and what we found was that the earlier we're able to get into that conversation the more productive it is because if it goes for you know 6 months of them specking out different cmss or something like that before they really start thinking about the content and what's underneath their technical solutions a lot of important decisions have already been made and they may not be optimal. But when we can come in earlier and start talking about things like, okay, well, you know, when you say it's painful for people to use, what do you mean? Is that, you know, the underlying structure of the content means that people are always fighting with your CMS to actually produce the things that they're being asked to by, you know, the organization? Does it mean that you don't have any governance tools? Does it mean that there's no scheduled publishing feature so people have to sit up until two in the morning to, you know, when the story needs to go live at a, at a particular time? You know, it can be everything from those very specific tactical things to, really sort of deep conceptual issues with how their, you know, business domain maps to their content model. But the earlier we're able to get into those things, we found that the more productive the conversations can be and the better the actual implementation project is. So as I started getting into interested in digging into that stuff, um, in large part because of the work that you and uh, other people in the content strategy world were doing at the time, sort of giving a name to this set of issues and concerns, um, we found that, you know, not only was it something that I was really passionate about, but it ended up really, really benefiting our development projects because we were able to understand things a lot better before we start building rather than just sort of discovering all of those, all of those things along the way. So tell me when you are able to enter early in the conversation, 
How do you approach getting your arms around current state be, of the content? Because especially when you, we were, Brain Traffic works with a lot of really large organizations too, and we don't get approached with the, we need a new CMS to fix our content, but a lot of times we'll get approached with either, okay, we need a new website and we want to do it right. So how do we start? Or, you know, with the content or else we're in the middle of a website redesign and it's, as Karen McGrain calls it, the 11th hour shitstorm, and the content is due and we have no idea what we're doing. Please come. We've never seen that before. Yeah, no, ever. Um, it is, it, you know, I used to worry, I actually, as a side note, I used to really worry that like, okay, it's 2018, it's going to be 2019, 2020, and everybody's going to have this figured out. And then what are we going to do at brain traffic? And I'm realizing more and more that that's just not the case. We're going to be busy for the rest of eternity. Um, uh, so, but tell me, tell me when you are able to enter into the conversation early, how do you go about getting your arms around uh, current state of the content, the content ecosystem, the people using it, and so on. I'm so glad you asked. Um, I I, that, I didn't even plant that question. It just came up. No, no. It, it, so I think you have to come at it from multiple directions. Um, I mean, I think, once again, I think you, you were one of the folks that used the, you know, blind men, you know, feeling an elephant and trying to describe what it is as, you know, an analogy for, you know, content strategy as, as a domain. You know, hey, it's a rope. Nope, that's his tail. You know, it's a tree trunk. Nope, that's his leg. Right. And I think that scenario is very applicable to the early process of figuring out what the what the reality on the ground of an organization's content is currently. Um, you know, we're um, my colleague uh, uh, Greg Dunlap, who's the Lullabot's other senior digital strategist. Um, we're both working right now on a fairly large scale project um, of reworking, I think, 80 different websites for uh, state government. And um, it's, that, that's a lot of stuff. And, you know, both from just a purely technical standpoint and from a governance standpoint, there's a lot of questions that are out there. And getting a really clear, accurate picture of what they have right now was important. And the first thing that we did was just throw a lot of basic inventory and audit tools at it. Um, and automating as much of that as possible was a good starting point. Um, I think we used a, you know, we used a, a tool called like Screaming Frog SEO or something like that that we've had good results with that just lets you give it, you know, here's a giant list of URLs, gather all the information you can, pull the Google Analytics data, and then give me you know, a, a 60 megabyte spreadsheet that we're going to go through and crunch. Give and, me the spreadsheet. Exactly. Um, and knowing the questions that we want to get answered early helps a lot um, because it can be daunting just to look at, you know, the output of a giant automated inventory and say, what do I know based on this? And, uh, you know, I've well, we have a lot of content. That's what I know right now. <laughs> Moving on. But yeah, like things like, um, you know, things that we learned to look for were like, what's the percentage of pages that have lots of what we would call exotic markup, like iframes, YouTube embeds, you know, like the, the crazy stuff that's often problematic or like hand, handwritten tables. You know, that was one of the things that we were able to look for, you know, and figuring out the, the mix of things that were fairly straightforward 
content wise from a technical markup perspective versus the stuff that was going to need to be very carefully analyzed. Um, then we started coming up with, um, you know, the, what the qualitative measures were for the actual content on the pages, because we're not the subject matter experts in those particular, you know, areas that each of these government agencies deals with. Um, what we did was we put together um, sort of checklists of questions to answer for actual subject matter, you know, and domain experts inside of the agencies saying like, okay, here's a, here's a sheet with all of the pieces of content that are on your site. Um, is it, you know, is it readable? And, you know, we were able to integrate things like reading, reading level assessments into the initial audit. So we could, you know, just flag for them immediately, like, hey, you're writing for a 17th, you know, grade 17 rating, level, you know, reading level on this page, maybe consider that. So what we found is anything that we can automate is good when it's specifically like either qualitative or, you know, it answers a specific question. We want like, how hard is the markup going to be to work with, or what's the reading level? And then identifying questions that are going to need human intervention, um, you know, and then, then basically finding somebody who can answer those questions, give them all of the stuff that we have been able to figure out on an automated basis and sort of say, here's what we know. And here's a question we need you to be able to answer because you're the expert. That's that's an approach that we've been using that looks knock on wood, like it's been successful so far. Um, but then there's also like the high concept questions that you can't necessarily start just with an inventory to, to answer things like what are the messages that you want to communicate as an organization? What does it mean to say things your way? Um, and I think, you know, that that's like branding, you know, branding, messaging, identity kinds of questions, things like, is it important for you to um, tell people about meaningful and important dates and deadlines? Is that something that like that's conceptually critical for what your organization does? Um, for example, the Department of Revenue turns out there are very important dates and times and stuff like that. That on another site, you know, to say, oh, we'll, we'll write a blog post or a news update about that could be fine, but needing to track that as like a first class type of content, a deadline or a date. Um, that's something that emerged out of our work with this government agency that for them, that was meaningful. And like, the, so there's the, there's the high concept, what kind of stuff do you need to communicate? What is, you know, the sort of meat of how your organization works and how it communicates with the public that feels sort of like the the stuff you get up in front of a whiteboard and you talk through with people and you slap post-its up and you draw lines between them. And I love that part of it. Um, but that sort of feels like, um, you know, the start in the clouds and you work your way down. And then the inventory process feels the opposite. You're starting sort of like down in the dirt with all the messy, you know, actual content and you're working your way up and finding structure out of that and finding what the patterns are. And approaching both of those things at the same time and treating those as like two sides of the same coin has helped us a lot because it's easy to be blind to the reality on the ground if you start with the you know pure whiteboardy kind of stuff and and just continue in that vein for too long. Um, but it's also really easy to miss those big picture 
things of what you want to end up, you know, what, what your end goal is, not just what the current inventory looks like if all you do is the inventory and audit work. So I have one of the things that strikes me about you in particular and the way that you do your work, you're one of the most personable people I've ever met in my life, just in terms of I feel like you can talk to anyone <laughs> and make them feel interesting and special I, I think it's and a witty. Thing. Do you? Yeah, no, because I'm from the Midwest and I definitely am. I'm, <laughs> um, I put people ill at ease. No, that's not true. Um, but what are some of your sort of tactics or secrets or tips when it comes to engaging stakeholders? Uh, because one of the things that we hear a lot are, you know, for example, okay, stakeholder, we've gathered all this information. We have, you know, exactly spelled out what it is that we need from you. Please get back to us. And then it's just like, you know, radio silence for however long. How or or we you know start talking to them about okay we're going to consolidate these websites and uh, tell us what your needs are and how you feel about that and people just go crazy because they want their territory they want their URL they're confident oh, that boy. Kind of like centralized property is not going to be able to uh, won't allow them to operate rogue the way they have been but tell me about uh, your your approach to to working with stakeholders in terms of you know, engaging in early conversation, gathering information, reassuring them along the way. Just talk to me about that a little bit. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, I think it's you and Karen McRae and a couple other, other people. It's uh, the, the, the phrase that all consulting is ultimately therapy, I think really applies a lot to content strategy. Um, because so much of what makes or breaks large scale content projects, um, is the human side of things, you know, technology can, can either help or put barriers up in front of, you know, the work that's being done. But like at the end of the day, if you've got a department that is dead set against what's being done and they're responsible for, you know, for producing the content, well, you're, you're up a Creek. Um, and you know, and, and no new CMS rollout is going to fundamentally change that fact. Um, and I think probably, the starting point for me um, is understanding like how the organization runs. Uh, that feels like a little like business consulty, uh, a little hand wavy. But like, what's what's the what's the actual day in day out of how stuff happens? inside of the organization that we're talking to. Now, obviously, you know, most, most big companies, I'm not going to learn that for the entire organization. It's going to be focused on like the actual content production processes, but even stretching out a little beyond that and figuring out well, what, what starts the content production process. Is it a new project? Is it the CEO waking up on a Monday morning and just deciding we need to do X, you know, I mean, you know, we, we grow it's so agile um and like it's easy to say that none of those things are ideal and none of those things are like whiteboard perfect but in most organizations they're the reality and understanding those things as sort of like cultural constraints just as much as we think about like technology constraints or budget constraints um can help when i'm trying to figure those things out um the other thing that i've figured out uh, over the years is, um, well, there's two somewhat nerdy techniques I have. One is what I call the, uh, the Kierkegaard bubble sort. Um, of course you do. 
<laughs> because I'm a huge nerd. Um, and, and my hero. I, this may come as a shock, but I was even more insufferable than I am now in my 20s. And uh, I, I really loved uh, the book uh, Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing by Kierkegaard. And it, it really struck me that this, you know, you, we all talk about principles and goals and, you know, this is, this is the most important thing that we're reaching for. But the way you actually know what that most important thing that you're reaching for is, is the choices that you make. And, you know, the, the things that you actually do and what they really end up prioritizing. Um, and I found that that sort of way of sorting through the priorities that, uh, that a client tells me is very useful. Instead of saying, well, is X more important or is Y more important? I'll say things like, well, okay. So if we could accomplish um, multi-channel reuse of all of your content, but you no longer had design control over individual things. Would you still want it? Or if we could ensure that embarrassing content was never published again, but it meant that there would always be a two-day delay on things, would you still want that? It's less forcing them to accept compromises than making them think through the pros and cons of it. Like what, what am I willing to give up in order for this to be true when the project is complete? And, you know, I, th I think there's a, there's a degree of trust that you have to have in order to have a conversation like that. You know, it, it's, they have to understand that you're not just trying to like push back on, you know, doing hard work or something like that. They, they need to at least have the confidence that you're trying to work towards a solution for the problems that they have. But that I think has helped, frame certain conversations when they understand that given other constraints like budget and time and, you know, organizational resources, oftentimes the big high concept goals mean other things have to be sacrificed. And, you know, how much willingness is there to do that needs to be a conversation that happens up front rather than sort of in the 11th hour when it becomes clear that, well, you know, hey, people can't actually do this in a timely manner with the system that's been set up. So what are you going to do when you need to push products out in, you know, out to the website in a day? That can't happen, you know, and having worked through those things beforehand so that they, so that they understand what the compromises are. And as someone who's working with them, I understand the why behind how they're making those decisions means I can sort of put myself in their shoes when I'm thinking through the pros and cons of different approaches too, because that sort of line of questioning helps me understand the reasoning behind the things that they're saying they prioritize, understanding sort of where the boundaries are between that's just too much to give up in favor of X or Y. That's so fascinating to me because I think that most vendors in particular are going to go exactly in the opposite direction, which is promise the moon. And then, you know, at the end of it, uh, sort of run away, you know, with their head in their hands going, sorry, I couldn't get it all done or, blame, you know, point fingers and blame it on the client or throw their own developers under the bus or whatever. So that's really, really interesting. I, and, you know, obviously this is this is the ideals, you know, that I think everybody working in any organization is still dealing with the, you know, constraints of projects and contracts and stuff like that. Sure. Um, but like, that's really what I try to move, try to, you know, keep front and center. And sure. sometimes, you know, there are clients where like, that's a conversation that has to be ongoing for the entire project because it just, 
don't want to let go of the idea that this big replatforming or this big redesign or this big rearchitecture of this of you know how we you know how and why we you know publish content they want it to solve all their problems and i'm sympathetic to that because often it's a big spend it's a big push internally inside of an organization there's political capital that they're using to make it happen and they want their problems to be solved um but figuring out what those priorities are isn't as you know making it clear that that's less about accepting less and more about ensuring that you actually get as much as possible on the other side of the project rather than getting 80% of everything but 100% of nothing right you know i oftentimes will use rahel bailey put together a content maturity model a long time ago like 12, 15 years ago that sort of on a very simplistic level steps through, you know, rudimentary content practices, tactical content practices, all the way up to strategic content practices. Um, And I oftentimes will bring that up for clients and say, look, you want me to get you from phase two to phase five with this one website redesign or with this one governance project. And it's a ladder, right? You have to go one rung at a time. You can't just, a big replatforming is not going to make you into the strategic mature content company that you've always dreamed of being. It's like the idea that buying a car is, you know, the journey to adulthood. Yeah, that is exactly, I thought my 13-year-old is like, okay, how much money can I have to buy a car? You know, as though like that budget, getting his head around that budget is next step to adulthood. Exactly. In full independence. That's right. It's like, well, it's a process. Yeah, exactly. A, B, get a job. But I I, I do think that like understanding the context of where they ultimately want to be is critical because, you know, the decisions we make in that, you know, phase three, phase four can be shaped by knowing where they want to be in that phase five, but it's still a process. Yes, exactly. Say, I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, There's been some really interesting conversation on Twitter over the last week or two. and, I, and I'm sensing some sort of resurfacing, I'll say, this is a real change of subject, but I'm sensing some sort of resurfacing tension within the larger content strategy community about like, what is content strategy? And oh, that means is, we're growing up, right? Product strategy, is product content strategy a thing? And, uh, you know, is it content engineering or was it, I mean, it is just like the conversations that we were having 10, 12 years ago are resurfacing in a new way. Um and, I, and I've been especially thinking about it recently because I've sort of settled into the idea, and this is kind of what we've been talking about, that brain traffic as an agency specializes in content strategy for websites and that that's a real thing and a real need and not an antiquated need that's going to get run over by AI or content engineering. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing within the content strategy community and what's Oof. exciting to you? And um, or, or if you can't, that's okay too. No, I can't. It, 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 that's a big question. It is a big question, but I I always have appreciated your take on kind of how you're able to listen to and appreciate, you know, different perspectives and people coming. I mean, you're you're a journalist turned software programmer turned digital strategist. Come on. You know, I mean, that's you you have to integrate all of these different points of view into into the work that you're doing. So just tell me where you think we are in terms of, you know, community and and how we're evolving. You know, going back a little bit in time, I think that 
you know, as content strategy really rose to prominence in the web community in particular, um, there was a realization that like the cycle of, um, you know, fire hosing stuff onto the web and then wailing and gnashing of teeth when it came time to do a redesign was ultimately not going to be cool to continue indefinitely. Um, and then I think mobile, the rise of the mobile web and the launch of the iPhone, I think are just, that's such an important, you know, point in time. It's an inflection point in the content strategy community being at the right place in the right time of having answers to some fundamental questions that the entire like digital publishing industry was suddenly obsessed with. Um, And I think that that idea of desktop and mobile not being parallel projects that you launch, but rather being different manifestations of the same underlying content and messaging that I think it's impossible to overstate how important that was for the content strategy community's place in the broader digital world. Um, like the idea of multi-channel publishing and even omni-channel has been around for a long time. Like if you look at the technical communication community and like the the world of like DITA and and deep in the weeds technical content modeling and content strategy, they've been talking about some of these things for a long, long time. But since the eighties. Oh yeah, I mean really? it's mm-hmm. like and the amount of the amount of deep knowledge on really, really complicated edge case problems that that community has is is amazing. However, historically, like a lot of that didn't make its way out into the broader web publishing world. Um, and we're getting some cross-pollination today as there's greater interest in, you know, sharing perspectives and an understanding of like the overlapping interests. But I think there was really this period of time where the web was sort of its own wild west and the web world kind of reinvented a lot of the same, um, kinds of expertise. And I think you were there during that period of time as like the web was waking up to the fact that this was something that needed to be figured out. And I think we've got, we're now at an interesting place where, you know, the, you know, we've had years of years of people talking about omni-channel and multi-channel and years of actual work on developing solutions to some of these problems, still a long ways to go. But I think that what it means is that there's things like content marketing and digital governance and the overlap between, you know, um, print and institutional, you know, content assets that have nothing to do with digital versus the web. There's a realization of just how big it can be inside of a lot of organizations. And I think that the classic definition of content strategy, which is, you know, the the who, what, when, where, why of your content, you know, who, who you're producing it for, who's making it, why it's out there, you know, what the process is. That is big enough to cover the whole gamut, but in a lot of organizations, um, the web is still the driver of the pain around content strategy because print for the vast majority of organizations moves a lot slower. There's a long-term historical understanding of things like this physical document that I have in my hand may be outdated and I should check with somebody or something like that. Those aren't unfamiliar concepts. 
So I think there's a greater willingness to engage with the weaknesses of non-web, non-digital content strategy, um, just as the way the world works. But the ongoing pressure in the web, uh, because for better or worse, that's still the primary digital point of contact for the vast majority of organizations. And it's, as a result, the driver of the vast majority of their pain and frustration and where a lot of their attention goes. I think that it's always going to be a really big part of the vast majority of our conversations at this point. That doesn't mean that it is automatically the most important or the most critical, you know, medium, but you know, it, it's, it's like looking at your, it's like looking at an organization sales and saying, we need to understand all of these different places that people are coming at us from. But we also understand that, you know, 80% of our foot traffic comes from here. Um, and I think that's what, what the web's role in content strategy is probably going to look like for a long time. Um, just because of how rapidly that world um, evolves, how quickly the technology changes, how quickly trends and usage patterns can shift and change. It's going to be the place that we just have to stay on our toes the most with. And I think that's, I don't think acknowledging that means saying that it is the primary or the most important, but it's like, it, it's the craziest in a lot of ways. Right. It's the, it can be the messiest for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, there's people out there that are like writing chat bots and, you know, figuring out how to break content down into like, you know, phoneme level structures and stuff like right. that so that, you know, right. AIs can make sense of it. Um, and I would probably say that's even more complicated technically and structurally, but it's also not to the point that, the web is and has been for a long time in terms of the dominance of how people will interact with an organization. That's sort of like, you know, people who were, you know, sweating bullets about putting up an organizational website in 1995 or 96, you know, it's like they were definitely ahead of the curve. And I, I feel like that's where a lot of that stuff is right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tell me, so speaking of being ahead of the curve, tell me what, is getting you out of bed in the morning right now when it comes to the work that you're doing, the work you see other people doing? Oh, boy. Um, what are you psyched about? So I'll say that uh, two people whose work that I've been following lately that I've really, really enjoyed. Um, uh, Lisa Marie, uh, I think Red Sesame on Twitter. Um, she, Lisa I, Marie Martin. Yes, mm -hmm. Lisa Marie Martin. Um, her work on like auditing and inventory and like the early assessment process of working with an organization and how you can pull insights and start bringing like structure and, you know, meaning to, you know, the big tangly mess of content. Um, it's been really fantastic. I think I saw her um, talk at Confab uh, earlier this year and it was just, just Mwah, fantastic. She is going to be an upcoming guest on the podcast. So you'll have to listen well, to that episode. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think uh, Carrie Haynes and Mike Atherton's book um, uh, on, on like domain design content, domain design concepts for digital content publishing is also fantastic. Um, you know, I've been following their work on domain modeling and content modeling for quite a while. And seeing their book come out was 
just absolutely fantastic. Um, I know, like, I think for probably since about the time that Earth's crust was hardening, you know, I've been talking about working on a book myself on content modeling. And, um, well, the funny thing is, is uh, recently, like, my big issue was, man, I feel like I don't want to go this deep into the weeds, but it it just I need to un- I need to explain domain modeling as a concept, or this is going to feel like there's really something missing. I just wish there were some other work that I could, you know, point to and say, here's the, here's the defining work on domain modeling and how it fits with, you know, content strategy so that I can go on to, you know, some of the in the weed stuff that I wanted to talk about. I was like, yes, this is fantastic. I love it when other people write the book. Yes. And like, so if, if you're dealing, especially with large organizational content and trying to figure out those tangles of like how, how the business and its processes intersect with um, the materials that are being produced. I mean, their their book is top-notch. Excellent. But I I think the issue, um, this isn't necessarily any particular person's work right now, although a number of different people are talking about it. I think probably one of the biggest issues that I'm grappling with now on, I think almost every project over the past two years or so is how to deal with um, like clusters of websites that are owned by an organization, um, you know, different departments, different agencies, different schools inside of a university, stuff like that, um, where because of the organization's budgetary and infrastructure needs, they need to standardize this stuff. You know, they need to get everybody on the same page. And that's both a, you know, a budgetary and an IT and a content governance driver. Everybody wants to have a system that people are on. But there are also really legitimate differing needs from, you know, inside of each one of those little small pieces of the cluster. Could be um, one of the departments actually hosts lots of events and they basically need a conference organizing website while somebody else basically needs, you know, a, a blog and somebody else needs um let's say just, you know, a, a deep staff bio, but without any other information, the, the idea that there needs to be both um, a system of content that works well with those divergent needs, a system of governance that allows some freedom, but not, um, you know, complete chaos and there also needs to be a design system that keeps all of them on board and at least recognizably a part of the same organization with navigational like modes and practices that people can recognize as they move from one site to another. Those are it's a really big interlocking tangle of stuff that more and more organizations need and I think because Lullabot does a lot of large-scale replatforming work, um, we often find organizations think that changing CMSs will solve that for them, and it, it's it's not. That is not a development problem. That is not a product problem. It's not a platform problem. That's just a big governance, and it, it's a philosophy question that you have to tackle as an organization and there isn't an easy way around it and it can be very difficult because from a development perspective it's very easy to build things that let each one of those groups crank out a website 
or they let a single central organization pop out identical websites. And from a design perspective, it's easier to make design systems and pattern libraries that all work for a website. But then when you have different branding and different sub brands and stuff like that, it gets incredibly complicated. And then from a content perspective, things like what does the content model look like? How do we avoid all of these disparate needs just turning into throwing up your hands and saying, okay, whatever, make pages, just make yourself all the pages you need and just put them in a tree and we'll try to make a menu out of it. You know, how do you, how do you avoid it just sliding back into that? Um, and I think that is important. I think Dan Brown just mentioned that problem in passing at his talk at the IA summit on IA lenses this year. And it, like there was a light bulb that went off in my head. I was like, aha, yes, that is the problem that we're seeing too. And I think more and more people are seeing it. And I don't think there are any shared best practices around that yet. Just answers that we're finding for individual clients and individual projects that work well. And I think that over the next probably year or two, that's that's going to become more and more of a pressing issue as organizations that have invested in building out larger platforms start having like the okay well let's re let's redo this or let's revisit this conversations and i think these questions are going to be coming up more and more i feel like that was an incredibly complicated answer but like it was and you know what would help simplify it is if you would write a book <sighs> touche i'm just saying um jeff we are out of time but thank you so much for spending time with me today where can people find out more about you Oh boy, uh, probably one of the easiest places is to uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm Eaton, E-A-T-O-N, where I uh, will rant about uh, intersectional feminism, content strategy, and tabletop gaming. Um, and cats. And cats, yes. Pictures of my cats, also critical. Um, I have a website at angrylittletree.com. And uh, you can also find more official stuff like my writing and you know some of the work that I do at lullabot.com. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Always a pleasure. You've been listening to the Content Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Halverson. This podcast is brought to you by contentstrategy.com and Brain Traffic, a content strategy consultancy. Find out more about Brain Traffic at, of course, braintraffic.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.